0: Welcome to the 33rd episode of the Kale podcast. Today we're going to be switching up the order of the way we usually do things. Usually we start off with a, you know, breakdown of Saturday's fight card. But today we're not going to do that. We're going to start right off with the biggest news of the week. And that is the fact that Surreal Gan and Derek Lewis will be fighting for an interim title at ufc 265 on august the 7th and after that we'll break down surreal gun and alexander volkov and the rest of the fights on that card and then following that we're going to touch on the rest of the major news inside the ufc because there is some news and there is some news that just broke so we're going to make sure we talk about that but like i said We're going to lead off right away with the news that Derek Lewis and Surreal Gan will be fighting for the UFC heavyweight interim belt. And we're doing that a little bit differently because obviously this news is very important. And um, in my mind, this is something that we haven't seen before and it's a very unique situation. So we're going to make sure that we talk about that and we're going to lead off with that as, you know, it carries that level of importance in my opinion. So... Like I said, Derek Lewis and Surreal gone, August 7th, UFC 265. They will headline that card and they will be fighting for the UFC heavyweight interim belt. Now, this is something that pretty much no one saw coming and understandably so. Usually, first of all, we don't see fighters get booked, just they booked that on Monday. So usually we don't see fighters get booked on Monday night. After fighting on Saturday night. that you know. Anomaly number one. In this situation. Is that they had this you know. This came around pretty fast. There were no rumblings of this. It just kind of hit us out of nowhere. And then second of all. The fact that this fight is for an interim belt. When you could realistically make this fight. For a number one contenders fight. But instead they decided to make this for a belt. And. That is very shocking to me and pretty much everyone who has heard this news, because Francis Ngannou has not been incredibly inactive. He, it's not like he's been on the sidelines for you know eight months, declining to fight people. He wants to be active, and apparently he even he even accepted a fight for September, I believe. So the UFC came to him and said, "Hey, Francis." Will you fight in uh, on August seventh and headline UFC 265? And he said, "No, I can't do August. I'll do September," which, in my mind, is pretty reasonable. He he's been, you know, Francis Ngannou has been doing a lot outside of the country, a lot inside the country. He's obviously gone gone home to Africa. He was in Fast and Furious Nine. So, Francis is a busy guy. It's not like he's just sitting on the sidelines doing nothing. Francis is, you know, staying active and doing things like that help his, you know, star grow for the UFC. So, he's promoting himself even if, you know, it's not directly through the UFC in their style of promotion. Francis Ngannou is out promoting himself. It's not like he's just sitting on the sidelines doing nothing. So... That is very surprising that they'd be willing to do that because now they're in a situation where even if you look at the upcoming pay-per-views, the, he said, you know, I can't do UFC 265, can't headline that. On that card, you already have Amanda Nunes and Juliana Pena. So obviously not the best headliner, but um, you'd like to see a little bit more, especially for 265. That, you know, seems like one of those numbers where... 265 it's a rounded off number something the UFC would probably want to have a big event for but if you look at UFC 266 the date he wanted to fight you have that was supposed to be headlined by Jan Blachowicz and Glover Teixeira now that got pushed back to Aug or to October so now you don't even have a headliner for that 266 card that you were originally kind of, you know, you could have had Francis on that. So, even if they really needed a headliner for 265, they would have secured a good headliner for 66, you know, a couple months out. And who knows, I guess the kind of um the kind of question mark here in terms of booking these pay-per-view um headliners and title fights on pay-per-views is when is Volkanovski and Ortega when are they gonna fight I'm sure that has already been decided but not announced simply because you know they're doing tough I imagine they're gonna make that announcement on the show during the show um, maybe in one of the last episodes but I imagine those two are already signed and ready to go they just can't come out with that information yet so maybe They will headline 266. Maybe that is something that um, we're not seeing here. You can't really be too sure. But that also raises the question, what is Oliveira doing? What is Usman doing? What are the rest of the champs doing right now in terms of, you know, defending their belts? And, you know, that's kind of a, you know, you can't really be like, you can't put all the weight on Francis to have a headliner at 265 when you have numerous other you know, champions who could fight that day. Even if you want the heavyweight championship, it's, you You don't need it. I mean, it's always great having the heavyweight champion headline a card, but that's not something that you absolutely have to have. And you don't have to have it enough where you go and book an interim title fight that day. And it's just not something that you the UFC needed to do. There was no reason for the UFC to do this and in my mind, this situation could have been, you know, this could have been handled so much better. You know, the most ideal so there were so there were several ways this heavyweight division could have played out and it would have been great. You could have had, you know, you could have booked Derek Lewis versus Francis Ngannou. It looked like that's the direction they were going. But you also could have booked, you know, this surreal guy and Derek Lewis fight had it be a number one contenders fight and then you could have had John Jones and Francis Ngannou fight and that would have been probably the most ideal situation. So in my mind when your champion is saying, "Hey, you know, I can't do I can't do September." Or excuse me, I can't do August, but I can do September. Why don't you just book him for, for September and then why do you need to, you know, get on because You don't have – Francis obviously isn't going to be happy with this, and he's not happy. So why do you need to damage that relationship when you could just say, hey, August – or, excuse me, September's fine. There's no reason to have to damage a relationship with a champion regardless of which weight class. But in this situation, it's Francis and it's heavyweight. So that is even, you know, more extreme of a situation with any champion you don't want to damage the relationship that you have with them so to do this it's kind of like what is going on and then Dana and Francis's manager got into it I'm not going to come out and say side with either of these guys because they both you know I don't know anything about Francis's manager and Dana has been known to tell some lies here and there so I don't want to pick sides on this but francis's manager did come out and say hey i have evidence um of the communication that we've had so if he can drop his evidence you know that'd be one thing but it doesn't look like this situation is going to be resolved anytime soon because francis is likely very upset understandably so especially in a situation where he won the belt three months ago or so he won the belt three months ago or so or so and that is probably the biggest turnaround for having an interim belt I mean Stipe set out longer and they threatened to strip him and they threatened to have an interim but they never actually followed through with it this was a weird situation where they I don't know if they made the threat you know back um I don't know if they threatened Francis with stripping the or having an interim privately but they never did it publicly and against when they were doing this with Stipe they came out a lot more publicly publicly with Stipe and it would have made more sense to have an interim heavyweight champion when Stipe was you know the champion because he was injured and I feel like that is probably in my opinion there's very little there's very few situations where an interim champ really makes any sense and this would fall into one of those categories where this doesn't make any sense. The interim champ just kind of holds back a division, makes the division, it gives you less options and because the interim champ has to fight the champion next. You know what happens if the you say either Derek Lewis or Surreal Gunn become the interim heavyweight champion and then John Jones all of a sudden is ready to fight for the heavyweight championship but you have an interim champ so now John Jones has to wait so now you're in a situation where you could make this John Jones fight but you can't because you have an interim champ it just doesn't make much sense to me personally and you know hopefully hope i mean it's hard to be hopeful here because it doesn't look like this situation is going to be resolved in a very positive manner just because of even the communication we've seen from Dana and Francis's manager has been very negative so hopefully we can see this situation get ironed out in the future I don't know what Francis has done to the UFC to make them take this action and it seems it's a lot more extreme because usually this gets threatened but the UFC went through with it and that tells me that you know there's a lot more going on backstage here just because they went through with it very rarely do they go through with it and they threaten this a lot um i don't know if you saw this there some ariel hawani tweets that i'm going to read about um this situation and now that ariel has left espn you know espn works very closely with the ufc so you can't really be too critical when you're with ESPN. Look at Brett Okamoto, for example. He, you know, gets to do the sit-down interviews with Dana, and he isn't very critical of the UFC. And he is on staff with ESPN. And now that Ariel is off staff with ES, no longer with ESPN, he is now, you know, being more open about the business practi- practices of the UFC. So I'm gonna read here um, a thread of tweets from Ariel about how they kind of deal with being interim champions. So Ariel tweeted, Regarding today's interim news, you'd be shocked how often they threaten this or how often they threaten to strip. And while most of the criticism has been directed towards Dana White, he is the face after all, it's really been the MO of Hunter Campbell since he took over. For those that don't know, Campbell is the UFC's chief business officer. He took over shortly after the sale. He does most, if not all, the deals these days. Some love him. He's a lot more like Lorenzo in that he isn't emotional, but he also threatens to strip constantly. Campbell is the lawyer White often refers to. Hardly ever mentions him by name, not sure why. He's way more valuable to the UFC than just being a lawyer. In fact, I'd argue he's the third most important person in the company Behind, behind Ari and White, being Dana White and Ari, the CEO of Endeavor. Again, he does all the big deals. Think of him as the UFC's general manager if they were a sports team, yet he never speaks publicly or has to explain moves like a GM would from time to time. Good gig. Anyways, some enjoy dealing with him, but this is, this is right up his alley. It happens way more than fans think. And that is the end of that thread. So this apparently is a situation where I thought that was very interesting. And I shared that because Ariel is very reputable. And I don't think he would just tweet anything like that out of nowhere. So that kind of tell, we all really had a suspicion or, you know, maybe a little bit stronger than a suspicion that this was happening, but this kind of opens up details more and gives more credibility to the idea of how the UFC does business with their champions. And to me, that that is kind of threatening the belt or threatening to strip is or threatening an intern is kind of, you know, it, it, it's a way for the UFC to manipulate fighters In a way because when you look at say Brandon Moreno or Charles Oliveira those two guys were both very emotional after long roads to get the belt and you saw the emotion that they had after winning the belt so that shows you how much the belt means to them now imagine if the UFC went to Brandon Moreno and said hey fight um, fight Cody Garbrandt for X amount of money on this date or you get stripped of the belt Imagine what Brandon Moreno would be like. He'd be like, "Well, I really want this belt. You know, you saw all the emotion he had towards winning the belt. So it would kind of... It, prob, it's like the best negotiating tactic. And by saying it's the best, I'm not saying it's right. I'm saying it's effective. And this is probably something that now that the UFC has done this, I wouldn't be surprised if we see this more and more often. And that is like i said we're going to see this more and more often and i'm very surprised they haven't done with the, the he, they haven't done this to Aljamain sterling yet because if you look at aljo he is injured right he had surgery and as much as people hate the way he won the belt and i don't think he is proud of the way he won the belt but he is injured and he had to have surgery and the ufc didn't you know take these actions against Aljamain when he said hey i'll fight you know, I can't fight now, but I'll fight when I'm recovered. Is that because Eljo said, you know, hey, pay me whatever. I don't care. Or is it, be, you know, why why does Eljo not have to deal with, you know, we'd be in a situation here where we could have Piotr Jan and the winner of TJ Dillashaw and Corey Sanhagen. Those two could fight for an interim belt so why is it that Francis has to deal with an interim belt well he's a champion but Aljo doesn't when he's going to be sitting out injured and you know it just doesn't make sense as to why the UFC is doing it here and like I said I'm not a fan of the interim belt I'm you know the, it's got a lot of negatives and few positives And most people don't recognize it as a legit belt. I mean, if you look at Justin Gaethje after he beat Tony Ferguson, he threw the belt on the floor. You know, there's very few times where the interim belt is really looked at and is held in high regards. I think the only one where people are really, you know, look highly upon it is Tony Ferguson when he was the interim champion. And that's because Conor was out of the sport and... Tony really looked like he was the best lightweight on the planet, and that holds more credibility with the fan base. Um, Israel being the interim champion might be an example just because he's gone on to win after having the interim belt. But when you use the interim belt as a glorified number one contender, it doesn't really make much sense because they could not have this. They could not have a belt on this Derrick Lewis and Surreal Ghan fight and just have the winner fight the or just have the winner fight Francis and you know it'd it'd be a little weird but it wouldn't be as big of a slap in the face to your current champion and I think that is something that um would put the UFC in a better situation and it's unfortunate that it had to go this way and I think that is pretty much all the thoughts that I had in terms of this whole heavyweight mess That we currently have with the UFC. Their champion and now an interim belt. And it's been a long time since the UFC. Since the UFC heavyweight division has really been in a good spot. You know we've always had. For a long time. We've had contenders stacked up. And now you know it was looking like we were going to get back on track. But now we're just seeing things get pushed back. So. Hopefully, this can get resolved. Hopefully, the UFC can figure this out. And hopefully, we will um, get to see the heavyweight undisputed belt get defended before the end of the year. Now that we're done with that, we're going to talk about Surreal Gun versus Alexander Volkov. So, this fight is a very impo- it ended up being an incredibly important fight for Surreal Gan's career because he is fighting for the interim belt and just a side note here, I do not blame Surreal Gan and Derek Lewis in this situation for you know taking this fight and accepting the interim belt. That's not their fault. The fault lies on the UFC and not the fighters who are taking advantage of the offer that they were given. So, but in this fight, Surreal Ghan looked very good. The scorecards were, I believe, 49, 46, and then 50 45, 50, 45. Those were those scorecards are really interesting. I think you can make the case that Volkov won two rounds, but those two rounds you could also give to Surreal Ghan. But Ghan did win three rounds very clearly, in my opinion. So um, whether it's 50-45 or 46. 50, 45, or 47, 46. I might have messed that math up, but who you know what I'm saying. Whether it was five rounds to zero or three rounds to two, Surreal Ghan looked very good, and he deserved to win, and he had a, a tremendous fourth round where he was able to land some good shots. And I don't like a lot of the criticism that Surreal Ghan is facing. A lot of people don't like Ghan and the way he fights because he's not active enough but you can get yourself in a lot of trouble at heavyweight if you're act too active. You can get countered, right? So I don't blame Ghan at all, especially when he's able to stay on the outside, land a jab, and land leg kicks. And Volkov, in theory, is not an easy matchup for Ghan in terms of striking. He doesn't Gan doesn't have much length or doesn't have any length on Volkov, so it's gonna make it harder to get to stay on the outside and land jabs and land kicks when you're facing someone who can also do the same exact thing but has more reach than you. So, for Forgan to be able to still employ his game plan when he was at a when he was in a very disadvantaged position stylistically, I think that is very impressive and that shows a high level of skill. And while I don't think this was Alexander Volkov's best fight, let's not forget Volkov's last fight where he defeated Alistair Overeem and people were saying that he could be a champion. And now that he's lost, you know, he's still that talented and he's still that good. But by Surreal Ghan being able to defeat him, that shows how good Surreal Ghan is. So let's not forget that. And Surreal Ghan is, in my opinion, the toughest matchup for... Francis and Ngannou right now simply because you know this is heavyweight so let's take out complete you know it, it sounds weird that saying that we have to take out knockout power but any heavyweight can land a shot and put Francis out if they connect that's just the that's just heavyweight and that's why there's been more heavyweight champions in the UFC than any, any other division than any other division so Barring a you know overhand right that connects when Fran- is if Francis is dominating a fight, I think surreal Gunn has the best chance at being able to go in there and you know win a fight very convincingly against Francis and that's because of how well his movement is. He utilizes movement so well. he's so quick, he can switch stances. He has a lot of things that I think could present Francis with problems. Um, I think that leg kicks here could be a big issue for Francis. If Surreal Ghan is able to land leg kicks and start to beat on the front leg of Francis, that could, you know, if if he can manage to damage a leg of Francis, that would make it a lot harder for Francis to explode. As we see a lot of his shots, you know, if he can explode into you, you're done. So I think that would make it a more manageable fight. And while I don't think that if I had to pick right now, I would pick Francis, but I think it would be a lot tougher than any other fight at heavyweight for Francis And in terms of stand-up. And it's weird because in theory, uh, you have to say in theory a lot when you're talking about Francis, in theory, Curtis Blades would be a very tough matchup just because of how good he is wrestling. But Francis has already KO'd him twice. So I'd have to lean to Sorio Gan being the toughest challenge for Francis. And then, obviously, Derek Lewis is obviously a tough match as well, simply because, I mean, if Derek Lewis lands a big shot on you, you're done, as Curtis Blades, unfortunately. Um, So that's something to keep in mind as well. For Alexander Volkov, he is still a top-tier heavyweight. I I didn't see anything that made me... um, that made me unimpressed with Volkov for the rest of his career. I still think that he can be um, very competitive in the UFC for a long time. And right now, I like the matchup with Rosen Rosenstrike. I think you know. I don't really think that. I don't think anyone outside of the top six is too intriguing to me. So just put five and six up against each other. You know. Volkov was a little bit higher, but he's coming off a loss. Rosenstrike was a little bit lower. Gotta win. So, I think Rosenstrike versus Volkov makes sense. And I think the winner of that would. Well, you know what? I'm an idiot. Because Jarzinho Rosenstrike is booked against Curtis Blades. So, that really puts Volkov in a really bad spot because that would have been very good matchmaking, Volkov versus Rosenstrike. So, now we have to. That puts Volkov in a really bad spot. He might have to fight Marcin Tabura, Augusto Sakai, Shamil. He might have to end up fighting one of these guys. Unfortunately, I just said, I don't think anyone outside the top six. I think he beats all those guys. Uh, But he might have to do that if he wants to stay active. If not, he would probably have to wait. To face the loser of Curtis Blades versus Jardinia Rosenstrike, And if that is Curtis Blades who loses that fight. Then we've already seen that. So he might not even get that fight. So Volkov's in a really interesting position here. And we're just going to have to wait and see what happens with him. That's really all there is to say with that. Um, unfortunately. Unfortunately. Moving on to Zoom. Some other fights on the card. Tanner Boser versus Ovin St. Prue very good fight from Tanner Bowser and I think he's going to be inside the top 15 here um I think Tanner Bowser is very good. I like I like he's he's he when you watch Tanner Bowser, you're like this guy doesn't look like he would be this good, but he's that good. So, Tanner Bowser is someone that I really like at heavyweight. And for some reason going into his fights I always underestimate him and then coming out of his fights I'm always like, "Oh, hey, I really like him. He's he's looking very good." And then in you know, 3 months I'll forget and then he'll be fighting again, then I'll pick the other guy to beat him and then I'll be like, "Oh, I'm an idiot. I should have picked Tanner Bowser." It's kind of how it goes with me and Tanner Bowser, but I do think he deserves someone in the top 15. I think Walt Harris would be a really fun matchup there for Tanner Bowser. I don't know if they'd want to move him all the way up to someone at 11. I think they might give Aspinall, Walt Harris, or Dudowskis versus Harris. I think those would be possibilities first. But um, he's going to be in the top 15 very soon. He might break into the top 15 when the new rankings drop to... New rankings are supposed to drop today. Today's Tuesday. I don't know if they have yet. I don't know what time they drop. Um, give me just a second here. Mm, I, I don't know. I really can't tell, to be honest with you. I really No, these are not. The, the rankings have not been updated yet. Okay. All right. Sorry about that little confusion there, but still, point remains the same. He'll be inside the top 15 very soon and then we had Ronnie Barcelos versus Timor Timor yeah that's we're gonna just call him Timor so Ronnie Barcelos versus Timor um very close match some people thought this should have been a draw because Ronnie had a 10-8 so whatever but Ronnie was a very hyped prospect and he just fell a little bit short of expectations. But I still think he's going to be very good. And Timor is no joke. This was two very good bantamweights here. Keep an eye out for these guys for the rest of their career. Andre Feely was looking very good in his fight against Anel Pineda. And unfortunately he you know landed an eye poke. And that fight became a no contest. Unfortunately we need to find a... Way to fix eye pokes, but we haven't done that yet. So, um, But Andre Feely looked very good. And Andre Feely is one of those guys who just seems to always be in and out of the rankings at 145. And that is partially due to how good 145 is. I mean, Shane Burgos is number 14 right now. And he is a bad, bad man. So he's going to be back in the rankings soon. He might be fighting someone right next. He might be fighting an up-and-comer. But um, Andre Feely will always, always, always be right around at 145 pounds. Tim Means versus Nicholas Dalby. Very good performance by Tim Means. Tim Means is another guy going into his fights. I'm like, oh, it's just Tim Means. He's not going to win. Then he goes out there and gets it done. My fault for underestim- underestimating Tim Means. And then... Couple really good prospects here on the prelims. First, we're going to talk about Shavat and Shavat Rakamonov. Shavat is a very intriguing prospect at welterweight because he is so long and he utilizes his kicks very well on the feet, and he is a very very good grappler. I mean, very basic breakdown of his skill set. But, you know, he is someone who could, you know, cause a lot of problems at welterweight. And I think he still needs a couple more fights. I don't want to see Shavat rushed. I, and right now, these rankings are so booked up at 185 that he's not going to break into these rankings soon. But when Shavat fights, he's, he's, he's an important guy to watch because he's going to be in the UFC for a long time. And he's going to be ranked for a long time. And he's going to be very successful, even if he never becomes champion. So he's a very important guy to watch for, for those reasons. And um, really isn't much more to say there than keep an eye out because he is very, very talented. And um, he wears one of those fur hats. So... When I see someone wearing a fur hat like Shavat or Rafael Fiziev, I, I, you know, you know, they're a bad man. They are a bad bad man. The other welterweight prospect we had on this card, he was not really a prospect before this. He was a nobody before this. But Jeremiah Wells, Jeremiah went out there and beat up Warley Alvarez. And my, my, goodness, that is not something. That I, would, that I was expecting in the slightest. I had someone ask me for good picks for this weekend, and Warley Alvarez was one. They were looking to make a parlay, and I was like, oh, yeah, throw Warley Alvarez in there to get a win, and um, that should help boost your odds a little bit. Pretty safe pick. But um, Jeremiah Wells went out there, and to many surprise, he went out there and, and just dominated that fight. And I feel like that was a surprise for many people because they didn't know who Jeremiah Wells was. But um, I think if, you know, if I would have saw Jeremiah Wells fight before this, I would have been like, okay, um, he's got a chance here. But I did not. And when they were rolling the highlights before and I saw him put out dudes cold, like Ben Askren out cold, like stiff, like a board, I was like, all right he's he's going to cause some trouble here. And he went out there, and he is yoked, and he went out there and put on a very good performance, and he was able to land some shots against Worley Alvarez early, and he was very, very dominant early. And then in the second round, he finally landed another uh, another shot that was able to put him down. And for Jeremiah Wells, with the, this was a great coming-out party. Usually, you don't get an opportunity to, to make your debut against someone like Warley Alvarez, so he's already ahead of the eight ball here, beating someone like Warley because you know even in Warley's last fight he looked great. If he, he, I mean the positions, and the roles were reversed, and in, in um Warley's last fight he went out there and just dominated um Mohir. I can see his face, but I can't say it. Don't know his name. Mahir Nazez. Great. Um, You know who I'm talking about. The prospect from Abu Dhabi. He went out there and dominated him and looked very impressive. And it was kind of a lot of people were like, Oh, this is a big turning point in his career to look this great. And then his opponent just came out. Jeremiah Wells in very, very, Looked very, very good. And that's all I'm going to leave for that. Monir Lazez was who I was thinking of. Should have known it off the top of my head. That's my bad. But that is the final thing that I want to talk about from Saturday's card of Surreal Gan versus Alexander Volkov. Now let's move on to some other news inside the UFC. First things first, UFC 264 is in two weeks. Now, we have already had two fights fall out of that card. The first being Kevin Lee is out versus Sean Brady. That was going to be a fun one. And Luis Smolka is out versus Sean O'Malley. That was going to be a maybe not a fun one. Well, Sean O'Malley would have made that a fun one. For Sean O'Malley, it looks like they're trying to keep him on the card. And they're trying to find a new opponent, which is good because this card, you know, Sean O'Malley needs to be on a Conor McGregor pay-per-view. And he needs to be on the main card. Because if people want, more people know Sean O'Malley than a lot of other fighters in the UFC. Unfortunately, I bet more people know Sean O'Malley than Gilbert Burns or Wonder Boy in the co-main. And that's not the fault of Wonder Boy or Gilbert Burns. That just shows how big of a star Sean O'Malley is. So if we want his star to continue growing, getting him on a Conor McGregor pay-per-view against anybody, I don't care who it is. It could be someone ranked in the top 15 at bantamweight because Sean O'Malley would be able to hold his own against someone that good. Or it could be against a bum. I don't care. Put him against anybody and Sean O'Malley will make it fun and he'll have a chance in there so hopefully that happens and it looks like Kevin Lee and Sean Brady it looks like they're going to try and rebook that match and um so it looks like they're both going to be off UFC 265 we already touched on this piece of news but I am going to repeat it just in case Jan Blachowicz and Glover Teixeira has been moved to UFC 267 it was supposed to take place at UFC 266 And that is going to take place in October. There's another one where, hey, why is there an intern belt at heavyweight but not light heavyweight? Why aren't Yuri Prohoshka and Alexander Ratchik fighting for an intern belt? If you're going to do it to heavyweight, why not light heavyweight? I don't think they should do it, but just something to think about. Why does it happen at heavyweight and not to to Yamblachovic at light heavyweight? Just something to think about. I don't know. You probably don't know. Just saying. And then the last piece of news is Hamzat Chimayev declined a fight against Luke Rockhold. And this made me very, very upset. Because this was the perfect matchup for both guys. I mean, if... It sounds actually. Let me take that back. If Hazmat is going to take any fight at 185, this was going to be the perfect matchup. But if Hazmat stay if if Hamzat stays at 170, then it makes a little bit more sense that this fight was not accepted. So, but for right now, if that fight, if Hamzat wanted to fight at all at 185, that would have made so much of that sense. Luke Rockhold trying to return, Hamzat trying to break into the top of um the 185 pound division so it made so much sense but um if Hamzat wants to stay at 170 I'm glad that he picked a division so we can see him climb through the ranks that does leave us with the question who is Hamzat Chumayev going to fight next I don't know you probably don't know um Looking at the rankings, nothing seems too too appealing right now. Neil Magny maybe at eight because they have history against one another. But I'd be completely okay at this point with them giving Hamzat of anyone at welterweight anyone. I think it would be very interesting if they gave if they did. Um, I'm I am just blanking on names today and it's ridiculous just talked about him which makes it even worse and when you hear the name I'm gonna say you're gonna be like oh wow James is an idiot um Shavat Shavat yes that's who I was thinking of if Hamzat versus Shamat would be a very interesting matchup but I don't think they're going to try to book two guys who are up and comers in the same division against one another one another this early. I doubt that that happens. And you know, that's that's okay, I guess. I mean, because we could see that matchup when they're both ranked inside the top 15 if they can get there. So, but for now, let's move both these guys up slowly because they would be two great additions to the rankings at 170. Now, that is all the news that I have for today. But since we are talking about 170, there is one thing I would like to say about the 175, 170-pound 170 division is they might see a new man in their rankings soon. And this is 100% speculation. 100% speculation. Depending on how this fight goes for Dustin Poirier against Conor McGregor, I wouldn't be surprised if we see Dustin Poirier at 170 pounds. I would not be surprised to see that at all. I saw a picture of Dustin Poirier, and my God, he's looking jacked. Dustin Poirier's looking jacked. I don't know how he makes 155 pounds. I know it's not easy. He'd probably have to add a little bulk to get to um, 170, but... Um, that w- probably shouldn't be wouldn't be too difficult for him because he doesn't need to add that much weight to be a big one seventy pounder. But Dustin Poirier at one seventy is something that I think needs to be talked about more because I think it would be so interesting. And I think it'd be very likely if Dustin Poirier loses this fight to Conor McGregor because one seventy offers one seventy offers a lot for Poirier. He could move up to 170 and have a chance at a title, especially if if he loses to Connor. That 155-pound division is going to become very backed up, I believe. But, you know, Dustin Poirier against Kamaru Usman would be a very fun fight. And in my opinion, that'd be a closer fight than probably anything we could get at 170 pounds for Kamaru. You know, Colby, maybe. Leon, maybe. But Poirier at 170 would be so much fun. And I think Usman versus Poirier would be a tremendous matchup. Absolutely tremendous. I'd love to see that. I'd love to see it. And the one big thing about Poirier at 170 is that um, him and Jorge were very good buddies. for Are still very good buddies. But masvidal and dustin or excuse me yeah masvidal and dustin it doesn't look like jorge is gonna fight for the belt anytime soon as he's lost twice in a row for the belt so it's looking like that it's looking like dustin poirier wouldn't be stepping on masvidal's toes by joining the 170 pound division and he's already got beef with colby covington So, if that matchup ever came to fruition, Colby Covington versus Poirier would be a very, very interesting match that I'd love to see. So, um, that's just something to think about. Something that I just saw a picture of him and someone was saying, good. It was a tweet and someone was like, good lord, how much do you think Poirier weighs right now? And it was like 188, 190 range. And I was like, oh, he'd he'd be fun to watch at 170. And I think he could do it. But that's besides, you know, any real point that I'm trying to make here. I just wanted to speculate on that, maybe get some get some opinions from some of you as to what you think um, of the possibility of Poirier moving up to 170. Just something interesting that I was thinking about. But um, that's going to do it for this episode of the Head Kick KO podcast. And I don't know when the next episode of this. Ep- podcast is going to be posted i usually try to post early in the week after a fight card but um this week we this upcoming saturday there are no fights and the saturday after that is ufc 264 Conor mcgregor versus dustin poirier the trilogy so i would like to do a pre pre pay-per-view podcast like i did for UFC 263. I really enjoyed doing that. I had fun doing it. And um and then I'll obviously do a post UFC 263. Those are really fun to do in my opinion. And there's no reason for me to do one early next week um if there isn't a lot of news. So I got to look at the work schedule, figure out exactly what day that's going to get posted. But um that's the plan for next week is a pre is a UFC 264 preview paper er, podcast and then I'll add any other important news that happened from now to then in that podcast as well. So um that's just something to look out for and thank you for watching the 33rd episode of the Head Kit Kale podcast.